This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. We live in a digital world where new technology promises everyone newfound wealth and success. But one expert says the reality isn't living up to the hype. The way we're doing things right now is preventing us from getting the benefits from digital networks. What we need to do is redesign digital networks to create economic growth for everybody instead of just for a few. Then, somewhere in your car, there's a hidden device that you may not even be aware of. Yet, it's tracking your every move. Soon, every new car will have them. That in and of itself isn't a problem. What is a problem is that people don't know what data is being collected and have no way of knowing what's being collected. Those two stories, and much more, are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Our show begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Digital technology has changed the world. The digital economy has affected just about all of us. But is this brave new world a better world? Our next guest is a computer scientist and musician, the man who coined the term virtual reality. His new book is titled, Who Owns the Future? We welcome Jaron Lanier to InfoTrack. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Most of us have bought into the promise that digital technology will guarantee us all a better future, but you have a different point of view. Tell us about that. I think it will bring us a better future, but we have to change a few things about it in order to enjoy that. The way we're doing things right now is preventing us from getting the benefits that we all expected for so long from digital networks. A huge amount of wealth and power has been accumulated by the people who own the biggest computers, and that might be a company like Google or Facebook, or it might be somebody running a giant financial scheme, or it might be a giant insurance company. There are all sorts of other players like that. What we need to do is redesign digital networks to create economic growth for everybody instead of just for a few. You point out in your book that digital networks are, in effect, destroying the middle class and could be adding to the unemployment problem. Right. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Right now, you can get translations for free online. For instance, you can upload an article in English and get it back in Spanish. And so it seems like magic, like there's an electronic brain doing this work for free. But actually what's going on is there's a big crowd of real translators who created real translations which are used as examples, and it's bits of the original translations that are matched up to different spots in your new translation that create the result. So the thing is, in order to create the illusion that it's free, you have to not pay all those original translators. Now, the thing is, every single example of automation is like that. Whether you're talking about robots that can manufacture things instead of people in factories, or if you're talking about self-driving vehicles instead of truckers and cabbies, every single example is based on real work, not just by a few people, but by large numbers of people. So if we just honestly keep track of where the information comes from that allows big computers to operate and pay people honestly for their contribution, we can have a strong middle class no matter how advanced technology gets. Well, you mentioned some companies that have already radically changed the landscape, such as Kodak, which was a huge employer and leader in the economy, has been you know, bankrupted by digital technology. 
Is there a way to, to deal with those situations and maybe reverse some of those situations in the future? Well, a company like Kodak, which used to create hundreds of thousands of really good middle-class jobs with security, has been replaced by companies like Instagram. And Instagram sold for a billion dollars when it only had 13 employees. So there's this incredible concentration of wealth and power. But the thing is that Instagram only works because of the contributions of the millions of people who use it. So if those people were paying each other when they shared photographs, and I know this must sound very strange to the ears of a lot of people who like the idea of things being free, but if they were, and if that were extended to other areas in which things are becoming more efficient because of digital networks, it would naturally create a strong middle class, which is what we really need. We need that on many levels. We needed to have honest politics. We needed to have honest markets. We can have it if we're willing to start thinking in terms of monetizing information. It's totally doable. It's just a matter, as I say, of honesty. We're talking on InfoTrack with Jaron Lanier, who is the author of Who Owns the Future, talking about the new information economy. You feel that regular, ordinary people should in some way be rewarded for what they do on the web. What about data, just in general, all the data that, for example, Google gets when you use their search engine? How can this change so that people can be rewarded for that? You know, right now what happens is you're being constantly ogled and measured by remote computers. This happens whenever you do anything online, where literally thousands of remote computers are trying to build a behavioral model of you that can predict what will manipulate you best. It also happens when you go outside and you're seen by cameras, either on people's bodies or, you know, in street corners. And the reason it's happening is that the people with the biggest computers, not somebody like you with an ordinary computer, but somebody with a giant computer, can gather all that data and compute these behavioral models, and they can decide which link that's put in front of you is likely to get a click from you, and other little things, which credit offers you're likely to accept. And very gradually over time, this ability to predict you just a little bit, doesn't have to be perfect, creates this incredible concentration of wealth and power for the people who have the big computers, but it's always at the expense of your own future. It always means that somehow your own prospects are not going to be quite what they were. In order for you to get free music now, it means you can't get as many jobs as a musician later. To get free translations now means you won't get a job as a translator. And the way you lose prospects in the future will depend on what you do, but sooner or later you're going to get stung by this pattern. And so the way around it is very simply to have these computers pay for the data. And if the government can track where you're walking with a street camera, they should have to pay you because the government should never be able to spy for free. You know, fundamentally in a democracy, the people have to have the power of the purse. And if we say the government can spy for free, we're giving them infinite power, and we must not do that. Similarly, companies like Google or health insurance companies or credit score companies, all these companies that profit off your data should have to pay you for the data. And it can't be too much and it can't be too little. It has to be set by market forces. But if we do that, then we can have an honest market economy even as technology gets really, really advanced. Aside from the economics of the transaction, is privacy permanently dead in our country? Privacy is only dead if it's free to do whatever you want to somebody else. And that should never be the case. And it's especially true for the government. If a government is free to spy without any cost, without the people claiming any power of the purse at all, then privacy is indeed dead. As long as it costs money to take advantage of somebody else's data, then privacy will exist. It should exist. For the average person who, you know, is just trying to grapple with the way technology has moved so fast in the last 20 years, what advice would you give to someone who wants to protect their privacy a little bit, maybe turn things around, create this 
new model that you're talking about? Is it even possible for the average person to do anything in this area? You know, we technical people have created a system that disadvantages non-technical people. So right now, you have to be at least a beginner programmer to be able to even understand your Facebook privacy settings, and most people can't really do it. So it's very hard to give people advice because we've created a system that deliberately excludes most people. One thing I like to suggest to people is to keep track of how much money you're quote-unquote saving by giving your information to people. For instance, if you look at the difference between what you'd spend with a club card or whatever when you buy groceries or not, or with a frequent flyer card when you book air ticket, if you keep track of how much money you've quote-unquote saved by giving people your information, it starts to give you a sense of how much they think your information's worth, and it adds up to quite a lot. But it's going to go way, way up as the technologies of automation get better and better. So I just want people to be aware of how much their information is worth. And I think as soon as people start to understand that, and that it's not a trivial tiny amount, but it's a great big amount, once they start to get it, I think we'll start to see political change. And, you know, we have, oh, I don't know, about 20 or 30 years before a wave of new technologies would otherwise cause mass unemployment, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. self-driving cars and trucks and all of that stuff. So we have a little bit of time to fix this, but now is really the time to be talking about it. You know, when I read various business books, entrepreneurial books, one of the strategies all these books advocate for businesses to get people excited, to get people involved, is to give them something for free. And that's sort of the whole model that a lot of these companies are using, especially with the Internet. So to change that, you're also talking about changing the culture of how business operates. Well, you know, what I'm most concerned about is the complacency of young people. There's a generation of young people in the U.S. and actually in the whole developed world who have grown up with reduced expectations. I mean, they have this idea that maybe they won't do as well as their parents. Maybe they won't really sit out on their own. They almost have a fatalist attitude that getting some publicity and getting some free stuff is the most they can expect. And it's not so much that I'm telling them to focus on whether they have to pay or whether things are free, but what I really want them to focus on is whether they are paid, you know, or whether they're taken advantage of. I hope that young people get this idea that they should be more successful than their parents, because otherwise, what is America? We have to not lose that. That's actually perhaps the core problem. What I'm really hoping to do is inspire incremental experiments. Like, here's a great example. We have this new technology called 3D printing, where you can magically create objects in these boxes that look kind of like microwave ovens. Mm -hmm. And someday that'll get good enough to shut down factories, because you'll just be able to make what you want in your house. That's all great, but the thing is that right now, this ideology of information being free is dominating this new field of 3D printing, so people expect to not be paid for design. And it's a kind of a beautiful idea to share, but it does make everybody poor. And if we could just experiment with one of these new kinds of technology to see if paying people for the information would generate a healthy market, we'd learn a lot. And so I'd like to just find something like that and get the tech community to agree to just try and experiment just for once instead of being totally zombies following this idol of free information. Just try an alternative. And we just need to do some experiments like that before the factories start shutting down because of good 3D printers. The book is Who Owns the Future? Jaron Lanier is the author, and he is also author of You Are Not a Gadget. Jaron, thanks for joining us on InfoTrack. Hey, I'm really grateful that you are interested, (laughs) and I wish you the best of luck with your show. Next, that car you're driving may have a hidden device that's gathering data, which could be used against you. The story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 